If you would, take your Bible and open it to Acts chapter 1 this morning. For the past three weeks, we've been talking about the church. We are the church, and we've talked about Jesus as the rock of our faith. He is the foundation of our church. We've talked about how we as Christians in our church are to be the influencers in our in our family, in our community, our workplaces, our schools, the salt and the light. And last week we talked about how we are to love other people in the church and outside of the church. Today we're going to think on something just a little bit different and it's still on the church subject, but it's basically we as the church can't really do anything apart from the power of God. Now I had a different story to start the message this morning. Although, I just got a message a few minutes ago from Andy um, about the revival down in uh, or up in Kentucky. I perused this very quickly, so bear with me. It's on my phone, and it's about a story named Gracie Turner. Gracie is a senior at Ansbury. Just curiosity, how many of you know what's happened up in Ansbury, Kentucky? Some of you? All right, if you don't know what's happening in Kentucky, about a month ago, somewhere thereabout, they have chapel there three times a week. It's a, it's a religious school, it's a faith-based school, and people would, you know, the students went to chapel. So, but on this one particular day, when the students had the chapel service, they went through the service, and then most people leave. But on this one particular day, the Spirit of God came, and the service continued, and then students came back, and for basically 24 hours for what now, about four weeks, there has been a constant ongoing service where people were getting saved, people were confessing sins, they were getting right with God, and people have wondered what in the world is happening, and the movement has spread to other schools across the United States and the world. Well, this particular article is about a girl named Gracie Turner. And I, again, I just skimmed it just a few minutes ago, but this is what I'm gathering from the story. Before she went there or sometime shortly before this revival, her great-grandmother, whom she loved dearly, died. And she blamed God. And she basically said uh, she had grown up in church, she loved going to church, but then she had stopped going to church after her grandmother died. And she went to the chapels, didn't really think much about it. It was required, so she went. And then on the day the revival started, she heard about it, of course, because it was there on the campus. And this is what I wanted to just kind of share with you. Uh, she grew up, let's see, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, Got to skip down a little more. All right, she was homesick. Um, she, all right, here we go. For three years... This is how the article reads. She wanted nothing to do with religion. When others prayed during chapel, she sat with her head up. There was no singing, no worship, or sound at all. And then when the first day of the revival came this month, she said, Turner, recall the chapel felt different. Um, she said basically she didn't stay. She went and did physical therapy, and she had classes, but she was having an emotional and a spiritual crisis, and she received a text from a friend, come to Hughes, something is happening. So here's what I want you to understand. 
She didn't think anything about something is happening, she said. But when she walked in, she said she saw people crying, uh, worshiping, and praying in mass. She sat in the back, and then she had tears, and then she prayed, and she continued to pray. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of the article because here's what I want you to know. On that day, she cleansed her heart. She got right with the God who created her and the God who loves her. And so what I've been talking about this whole month, honestly, it had nothing to do with Ansbury. Because when these sermons were on my heart, it wasn't a thing. But it was a God thing. God knew what was going to happen in Kentucky, and God knew what was going to happen beyond Kentucky, and God wants us to experience a real revival. Not just uh, a worked-up, emotional uh, kind of experience, but God wants us to experience a pouring of His Spirit because we can't do nothing. I mean, I could get up here and use the gifts that God has given me and the gifts known to public speakers and maybe rouse you into a, an emotional momentary frenzy. I could do that. But if it's not from the Holy Spirit, it means nothing. Angie could, could pick music. The choir could sing. Soloists could sing. And a heartfelt song that moved you, but apart from the Holy Spirit, it means nothing. We could sit in our Sunday school classrooms and study Scripture and, and be moved a little bit and think, wow, that's pretty cool. And it, it, it means nothing apart from the Holy Spirit. So in the book of Acts and beyond the book of Acts, we see what God can do. There was a once-in-a-lifetime moment in the second chapter of Acts when the Holy Spirit came that the church experienced a phenomenal, unexplainable event. But the Holy Spirit continued to fill Paul and Peter and Barnabas and Silas and all of the other characters that are talked about in the book of Acts where revival swept across the Roman Empire of that day. And there have been periods in American history and world history where the Holy Spirit moved in a way that revival came across the lands. Here's why I believe God wanted us to look at these, these verses and this idea, we the church, because we need a real revival. We need a true awakening. Our country, our community, our homes, they're dying. There is so much, so much that God is wanting to pour out. But the spiritual warfare we face is real. Why do we think we see so much crime? Why do we think we see so much anger, so much hatred, so much strife, so many. I mean, Rhonda made a, a, Rhonda this past week said this. Her computer went wacko, and she called the number, and the guy wanted her to download something. And she went, no, 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 I'm not going to download that. 
And she wondered with amazement as to how someone can be so callous and hard-hearted to try and steal from other people. It happens every day. We need in our country, we need in our homes, we need in our church a real revival, not just an emotional frenzy, but a true changing of the heart. And so today I want you to think about it is not by our might, it is not by our strength, it is not by our plans that we can experience what God really wants us to experience. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit and us responding to his Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, I want to read these verses. This is right before the Lord is going to ascend back to heaven. This is what he says, or this is what we read. While he, Jesus, was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of, uh, to Israel at this time? Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now in these few verses, Jesus is still with them. He has been crucified he has been buried. He has been raised from the dead. And for some 40 days, he has walked with these 12 men plus, uh, well, the math is 140 total of them. So whatever, 12 minus 12, but nothing. Just maybe move on. He has walked with these 120 people for some 40 days, giving them a little extra and further instruction. And now they've made their way to the Mount of Olives, which is just outside Jerusalem and right at the edge of the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is giving them these final words. And he says to them, basically, I want you to stay here in Jerusalem, and I want you to wait for the promise God has given to you. One of the hardest things in life is that, waiting. Who wants to wait? I, I, I hear people all the time say, I'm tired of waiting. We just want to hurry up and get it done, don't we? We just want it to be fixed right now and right then. And Jesus said to his disciples, No, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. Wait for the Spirit of God. They really didn't understand what that meant. You see, we, we understand it because we have the whole story. But Jesus said, I want you to go back and wait. And we need to learn to wait for God's best. And then he said to them, John baptized with water, but I am going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit very, very soon. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to fill you and indwell you, and he will then empower you to do what you could never do in your own strength or own power. Listen, we, we forget that sometimes. 
It's easy for us to get out on our own and do what we want and do it in our way according to our strengths and our power. But Jesus said, wait, wait. And they did what so many of us classically do. I don't know who said it, but somebody said, uh, Lord, are you going to restore Israel as you wanted in David's day? In other words, is it all about to happen? And Jesus said, okay, look, 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 you're missing the point. Don't worry about the end times. Don't worry about that promise. That's not for you to even be concerned about. We, like the disciples, can be distracted from what's most important. Jesus is coming back again someday. When's he coming back? I have no idea. But here's what I'm going to say to you, and I hope you, you hear. It doesn't matter when Jesus is coming back. Because we could go sit on a hill and wait and wait and wait and wait and die before he comes back in our lifetime. Or he may come back in the next 30 seconds. But it doesn't matter. Jesus said, don't be distracted from anything other than the purpose to which I have called you to. Jesus said throughout his earthly ministry, I am going to build my church and I'm going to build it on your faith in me. I want you to know that I will die, be buried, and raised from the dead, and that is the rock, the foundation of the faith, and I want you to make disciples of people. I want you to grow. I want you to share the hope. I want you to help them understand these very basic things. I want people to experience a full and meaningful, abundant life. I want people to be ready for death. I want them to go to heaven, but not everybody's going to go to heaven. Jesus said all of these things while he walked this earth. But he said, don't get distracted from the things that don't matter. Because when we get distracted from the things that matter, we never finish the thing that does matter. You know, there are moments in my life when I can become easily distracted. I remember before COVID when we were doing prayer service in the big room back here, and um, Bobby Reed would say something to me, and the next thing I know, I'm chasing rabbits. Or in my case, squirrels. If you know the movie Up, that's where that kind of comes from. And Miss Sherry would say, squirrel, preacher, squirrel, to get me back on track. Those are fond memories that I have. And so we can all become easily distracted from what really matters. And so Jesus said, listen, I want you to understand. Wait, don't be distracted. And then he said to them, in verse number 7 or 8, the Holy Spirit will come, and when he comes, you will be empowered. Not by your strength or your might, but by the power of God himself. We can all do a lot of things. We all have unique gifts. We all have unique abilities. There are some of us who can do incredible things. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to doing the things that God wants us to do, we need God's power because only God's power can truly change. So when we do things in our might, if I preach or teach in my might, in my strength, in my abilities alone, do you know what happens? It's boring. You look at your watch. If the Spirit of God is not moving me, 
you're just sitting there going through a, a religious exercise. It becomes routine, lifeless, ritualistic, unmoving. Many of you do know I love certain sports. And if you've ever been with me to a football or a baseball game, I am not an emotional person. I used to be. I mean, a little. I'm kind of a quiet fan. You know, yay. I mean, I'm not a little more excited than that. I mean, earlier when I was younger, I might at a Braves game turn around and give high fives to people I didn't even know. Somewhere, though, I became a little more quiet and a little more reserved. And when I'm watching it on TV, the only, I mean, I might yell at the TV. Okay, I do yell at the TV. And I do yell at players and I do yell at coaches. And, but that's the negative side, see? And if there's a score, I've tried to work on being a little more reserved. But guess what? I have a tendency, Angie, to take this even into church. Do y'all know that there are some people who are very, you know, enthusiastic? There are a lot of enthusiastic people. But enthusiasm in and of itself doesn't make the Spirit of God move or not move. I mean, we could sit and say amen, we could clap, we could shout, we could dance, and we could do all kinds of things. When I was in preacher school years ago, we had to study certain preachers in this one class and one that I chose that I knew very little about was Billy Sunday. How many of you have ever heard of Billy Sunday? A few of you, very few of you. He was a Methodist preacher, I believe he was Methodist, around the early 1900s during the times of Prohibition. He was a fireball kind of preacher. And he would bring American flags to the churches with him. And he was known for doing something really interesting. At times, he would get on top of the pulpit and preach from on top of the pulpit. And he shouted and he raised his voice and he was known for running up and down the aisles and occasionally running on the pews in the churches. And it excited people. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying the crowd often got worked up. Now, that if, if I did that, y'all might freak out. I mean, if I'm running up and down the aisles and I'm shouting and hollering and I'm looking at you and I get this close to your face and you're thinking, hey, COVID, 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 get out of my face. You know, it might get us into a, a worked-up frenzy. I read something years ago, or, read, or heard it rather, that some churches and some Christians are like a piece of paper on the side of the road. When the car passes by, it floats up, and it just kind of floats back down until the next car comes. A lot of us, we, we try to work up this superficial, spiritual desire out of emotion that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit moving us. God wants to penetrate our heart and our mind and speak to us so that we truly sense and see what he wants and what he can do in our life. This past Wednesday, I did something I've never done before. 
I was asked by one of the assisted living homes in Villarica if I would come and do an Ash Wednesday service. Miss Rita, who is the director, she called me up actually on Monday, but I was gone with the funeral all day, and I got the message, called her back Tuesday. She said, I know it's late notice because tomorrow's Wednesday, but could you do an Ash Wednesday service for us? And I thought, what's Ash Wednesday? I mean, I'm thinking, I actually thought, that's what Catholics do. And I just said, well, Miss Rita, I, I, yes, ma'am, I'll do it. And she said, okay, about 30 minutes. I said, yes, ma'am. I said, do we have any music? She said, nope, you're in charge of everything. I went, great. Mm, Tuesday night, I got out my little books and my phone and my internet, and I asked this question from, from Google, what is Ash Wednesday? I mean, I kind of knew it, but I didn't. And I found out that Ash Wednesday is basically a service 40 days from Easter on a Wednesday to, for the very specific purpose of people attending to take a hard look at the sin in their life. Followed by Lent, where you say, I'm going to not do something that I shouldn't do or whatever. And I thought, interesting. So I did a little more study and a little more research, and I planned the service, and I wrote it all out. And on my phone, I've got the hymn book that are in our seats, and I picked out some songs and planned the service. But as I was preparing the service, this is, this is what I want you to hear me say. I've never done it before. But as I prepared for it and looked at some of the scriptures and read some of the scriptures that were a part of this little 30-minute service to the senior adults at the Birches in Villarica, I became acutely aware in my own life of my own sin. And God kind of told me and reminded me, do you really know and do you really understand the great sacrifice that was paid for your sins, Sam? And so I was moved. See, we, we need to move beyond mere ritual and, and, and just order and just we've got we've to crave more than we've ever craved before. We need to crave an outpouring of the Spirit of God. We, the church, we could never and we will never be more than we could be unless God pours himself into us. But we have to open up our heart and we have to open our mind to receive the Spirit of God indwelling us because we can actually quench very easily God's Spirit. It's easy to quench the Spirit of God. And so in this story, Jesus specifically said to them, wait for the pouring of the Spirit. Wait for the coming of the Spirit. And don't be distracted from all of the stuff in your life because God will empower you to do what you need to do to fulfill His plan. So I want you to think with me just momentarily, what would that look like for our church in our worship if we said... God, I want you to fill us, indwell us, inspire us, speak to us, prepare us, open us, convict us, fill us with hope, fill us with joy, fill us with love, fill us with your spirit as we worship and praise you.
so that others who are here will see we ain't normal. We're not like other churches where we just kind of go, you know, from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to get to the final thing, which is what? The closing prayer so we can go home and eat and come back and do it again the next week. I am, I am longing for the moment when our worship, when people park their car in the parking lot, the Spirit of God is so powerful, they kind of think, where am I going? I don't know if this is, I mean, there's something different here. It's not that we're not unfriendly or overfriendly, but that but what's different is the Spirit of God is so prevalent because we have said, God, we open up our heart to you, our mind to you, we yield to you, we surrender to you because we know that we, the church, are nothing in our worship without you. We crave you, and we are praising you today. I know we do that, but, but are we really doing that as we should be? I mean, are we really saying individually, God, I want you to cleanse me. I want you to prepare me. I want to worship you with an unbridled passion, not some worked up, hyped up, you know, because we're trying to do something here. But it's God's movement pouring out amongst us. It's what I crave. And then there's the other part. I want you to think with me about what we do, our work here. Not just our worship, but what we do here, the works, the things that we do to serve each other and our community when a church is saying, God, we are led by the Holy Spirit, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit, there is, there is something unique where people, they're excited. It's not like, oh, I got children's church next week. I don't really want to do children's church. I like kids, but I don't love kids. But if I don't do it, nobody else will do it, so I guess I will I just don't really love teaching Sunday school. You know, it's the same thing over and over and over again. See, I could, I mean, sing in the choir. Yeah, I could sing in the choir, but I don't really like, you know. See, when we love what we do, when we are convicted, when the Holy Spirit has poured into our life and we say, God, I am a sinful person saved by your grace, and you, God, are blessing me Monday through Saturday. So when I get to church, I am excited to be there, not just to worship you, but to serve you too. God, I want to be on fire for the minute. When we are filled with spirit-filled people because the Spirit of God is poured into us, when we look at all of the things that need to be done, are being done, it's not just a job. It is an experience where we are empowered by His Spirit, where we're filled with peace. And guess what happens when that happens? There's not as much negativity. There's a sense of community, a sense of belonging because the Holy Spirit will bind us together. Listen, I'm not saying this isn't here. I'm just saying that it's easy, easy, very easy to fool ourselves 
It's very easy to be distracted. There's that little word again, distracted, from doing a job because it needs to be done rather than for the real reason it needs to be done. See, God called us to make disciples. And when we, we just do the job without the Spirit of God empowering us to do the job, we're missing out. We're missing out because, you know, if you were a part of a, I try not to use so many sports analogies. I am so sorry. Rhonda tells me all the time, stop using, but I've got to right now. If you're on a winning team, y'all know what a winning team is, don't you? They win the games versus a mediocre team or a losing team. Do you know who wants to play on winning teams? People that love to win. People that say, I want to be a part of it. And then there are some that get on the team, and then when they don't get the limelight position, they get mad and want to go play somewhere else. Some leave because they want to make more money. Those are all the wrong reasons to be on a team. There are churches where people will go to the I'm just going to put it in quotes, the winning church. And they want to serve. And they're told, oh, we, we want you to serve, but right now we just don't have any places for you to do that. Could you do this? Some people go, oh, I don't do that. And they go, well, you, you, you can't do what you want because there's nowhere for you to do that, but we have a need here. And then they leave. But people who are filled by the Spirit of God say, I'll do whatever you need me to do. They say, I am thrilled to be a part of something where God is moving and pouring out His Spirit and where lives are being changed. I want to be a part of the team. See, they don't beg people to do stuff because they have people wanting to do stuff that it's amazing. So we, we ask God to just move in our church where we love doing what we do. It's a joy to do what we do, no matter what it is. I remember when I was church planting years ago, I had somebody come. We were, I was told that the people would come. And this one particular person came and said, I have the gift of, and he told me what it was, and he said, this is what I'm here to do. And I remember saying, well, we don't need that right now, but what we do need is somebody to help set up chairs at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning. And he said, I don't do that. And I said, well, but we need somebody to set up chairs. He said, I don't do that. I do this. And I just said, well, we're probably not the church for you. And he walked away sorrowful. You know what I had to do? I had to let him go. Because when you're doing church plant work, you want everybody you can get, but you don't want everybody that you can get because not everybody needs to be a part of the team. So we, when the Holy Spirit empowers us 
There are people that are worshiping God with a true, sincere heart. And the church is filled with people who say, I want to be here and be a part of what's going on because I am contributing to, the print, to, to all that's going on. And the last thing I want to mention is this, our witness, what we share with other people. Not many people who are followers of Jesus share their faith with other people. It's hard to do, isn't it? It's, it's hard to say to somebody, let me tell you about Jesus. We don't want to, and this is, these are the lies from, from Satan, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to push them away from God. We don't want to say something because we might think, well, they'll think I'm a holy roller religious person. When you're empowered by the Spirit of God, it is so natural for you to share your story with other people. This is what I mean. Not every time you see them. I mean, people you work with, I'm not saying you go in there every day, you need to get right with God or you're going to hell. That's not what I'm talking about. You, you're living a life of faith. You, you say, you know, I, I did something wrong yesterday. I shouldn't have said this, and I said it, and oh, man, I did I sh- that was so wrong, and God wasn't pleased with me. That's sharing your story. Or when you have something where you've prayed about or you're struggling with, and it's bothered you, and you say to somebody, and they see you, and they hear you say, this is my struggle, and I'm fighting this, and I'm frustrated with this, and I've asked God about it and talked to God about it, and they've listened to that journey, and then they hear you say, and God has answered my prayer. The wait was hard. It was difficult. They hear that. Share your story of faith with people is the result of you being filled with the Spirit of God. In my hospice ministry, I had the chance to share faith a lot. Recently, I I talked with a gentleman who told me when I first met him, that he was saved. He said, I got saved when I was a kid. I went to this Baptist church and he told me about it. But then he said, I haven't been to church. And he told me how many years he hadn't been to church since he was really a teenager. And he's now in his late 60s, early 70s. And he struggled through most of his adult life with alcohol and some drugs. And anyway, we're having a conversation recently. And I just asked him this simple question. You told me you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, didn't you? He said, yeah. I said, why don't you live like it? Why don't you act Christian? And he, he just looked at me and said, what? I said, I think you heard what I said. You are not acting like Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You've got no hope. You've got no passion. You've got no peace. You've got no joy. And and the world is just falling apart before your very eyes. I said, if Jesus is your Savior, it ain't all that bad. That's what the Bible says. And he said, you can't talk to me like that. Yeah, I can. I just did. Now, I would not normally do that. But I'd prayed before I went in because I knew he was a cantankerous old fella. And I asked God to give me wisdom to share with him what he needed to hear. 
And that's what God wanted me to do in that particular day. And when we finished our conversation and prayed, and I went to another room, I heard him speak with one of the nurses in the facility saying, this fellow just came and told me I need to live different. And that was good for me. I needed to hear it. We, we need to ask God to fill us with his spirit so that we can be the witness Jesus wants us to be to the people he has put us in contact with. Our family, our friends, people at church, doesn't matter. We need to be praying people. I mean pray I mean, really pray. See, we should pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us, give us wisdom, give us insight, and pray that God will move in the lives of people who are far from him or from people who are struggling or whatever the case may be. We need the Spirit of God because we can't do it on our own. We need the Spirit of God. And so when we do all of this and we look at these verses, we see that Jesus said to them, I want you to stay here and wait until the Spirit comes. Don't do nothing until then. And they said, um, let me ask you a question. Jesus said, don't be distracted. Don't worry about that. Wait. Don't be distracted. And when the Spirit comes, you will have power you never had before to do what I want you to do. So here's what happened. They did just that. They went back to that upper room where Jesus did the Last Supper, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and the Holy Spirit came. And these, I'm going to say, rednecks from Galilee, these Galilean country rednecks, left that upper room and walked down in the streets of Jerusalem, and they began speaking in languages of the day that they did not know how to speak, testifying and sharing the message and the gospel of Jesus. And people who were in town heard these rednecks sharing the story of Jesus in their native language, and they went, how are they doing that? And then Peter stood and spoke before them all and said, oh, they're these people thought they were drunk. Peter said, oh, no, we're not drunk. We're just filled with the Spirit of God. And God wants you to know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other way to get to heaven except through him. And he told the story. And on that day, 3,000 people were saved. We read these stories and we think, wouldn't it be nice if God would do that today? What just happened at Hansbury? Wouldn't it be nice if God did this in our church? God just did it in a college, a college campus. Y'all get that, don't you? A college campus. College kids. Oh, I'm sorry, college young adults. We have a college student back there. A college young adult. So when, when some of us look at high school, middle school, college we think oh you're just young you don't really know much thank god for them we we get older and we just get sought in our ways and i said it i said sought we get comfortable and we get lazy 
and we just kind of settle for the routine. But, oh, may God pour his spirit out on our little church. And might real revival come to our community so that we can see what God and only God can really do. That is my prayer.